Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 7. We're going through the book of John verse by verse. And we'll continue through this study. And you remember the book promises us, God promises us in this book that if we'll, if we'll study it, read it, and live it, that uh, our faith will grow. And our faith will continue to go forward. So this is a journey of faith that we're on right here through this book. Now we come to this pinnacle in chapter 7 where Jesus makes this great invitation for people who are thirsty to come and drink from him. And so let's pick it up in verse 37. Then Lord willing we'll cover the, the remainder of the chapter. Look at verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This is more than just salvation. The word drink and the word believe are both in the present tense, indicating continual action. Jesus is saying, you come to me and drink. You believe on me. That begins a process. That's salvation. But it begins a process of living the life. And if you'll keep trusting me, if you'll keep drinking from me, you'll, there'll be rivers of living water flow out of you that can touch the lives of other people and bless other people. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great invitation. And I pray that each of us will heed this invitation today. Make us channels of your living water to touch a thirsty world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jarmaine Wilson grew up in Levingworth uh, City in Kansas. He grew up in a, in a tough, difficult neighborhood where drugs and violence was everywhere. He had little hope for a future. But he did have a dream. His dream was that he could become a drug dealer. Now that sounds crazy to many of us, but... That was his dream because in his neighborhood, it was the drug dealers that had all the money. It was the drug dealers that had what appeared to him to be respect from everybody because everybody wanted a little bit of the money, you know. And uh, he wanted that kind of respect because he had always been ridiculed, made fun of. They called him too short, too fat, and too ugly. That was his title so he wanted to fit in he did have one person that made him feel good though that was his brother his older brother 
But his older brother was into drugs and crimes as well. So at the age of 11, Jarmain began taking drugs and followed his brother in uh, robberies and, and uh, crime. And uh, a year later, his brother was arrested and sent to a uh, youth detention facility. And Jarmain then was 12. For the next three years, he kept drugging, selling drugs, fighting, stealing, and living that kind of lifestyle. At the age of 15, he was arrested himself and sent to detention. And uh, there in youth detention, uh, he tried to escape. And because of that, that extended his sentence. And he actually spent four years incarcerated at the detention center. And uh, he said he learned more about drugs while he was in the detention center than any other time. And he knew now that when he got out of the detention, he could make a, uh, make a lot of money selling drugs. And sure enough, when he was 19 years old, he was released back on the street and back selling drugs, crime, and uh, was making the money. But he began to realize that there was other things going on as well. It wasn't all that it appeared to be. Making all that money, now he was afraid people were going to rob him. Or he was afraid somebody was going to kill him and take his position. And uh, he became paranoid. During that time, too, his own drug use and abuse accelerated. And so he was only out two years. So at the age of 21, he goes back into prison. This is, is in 2008. This time, he's in maximum security prison and he said he began to realize it was all a delusion his whole life had been a deception and a delusion and he said he began to think about suicide just ending it all he was so miserable then he began to think back at his childhood his mother had made him go to church when he was young. And he remembered that in Sunday school they kept talking about this man named Jesus. And this man named Jesus could forgive your sin. And he could give you a new life, a new start. And he could give you joy and peace and so forth. And he remembered the Sunday school teachers teaching this when he was a child. And he began to be thirsty. You know, Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. Jarmaine began to be thirsty for something different, for something better, for something real in his life. And then he said, while he was sitting in the floor of his maximum security cell, this happened. And I'm reading now. I sat on the prison floor crying out, not knowing what would happen, but I wanted help. I wanted something different. And I said, Jesus, if you are real, please forgive my sin and give me another chance. Help me to have a chance to be with my family. 
Make me who I'm supposed to be. Give me fulfillment. I don't want to continue this lifestyle. And then he said, when I called out to God, for the first time in my life, I felt free. I started to feel peace. I felt the love and compassion that came from Jesus. Jesus, he said, Jesus living inside of me. He said, that's when I knew that life would be different for me. And it was different. And it is different. He got out of prison two years after that at the age of 21. He married his longtime girlfriend. That's in 2010. And they now have five children. Also, right after he got out of prison, he, he was ordained as a pastor. And he began to pastor. But not only did he pastor a church, but he also uh, began to reach convicts and go into the prisons and reach people in prison. But not only that, he began to reach his community. Not only, uh, not only reaching adults, but teenagers and children. He, he went back into the same schools... That, that threw him out when he was a teenager. And now he's speaking in chapel. And in uh, reaching young people for Christ. That's been going on now for 10 years. 2017, he had his record expunged. That meant he could run for office. So he ran for city council. He made it. He became a councilman. And then he ran for mayor. And in just last year, 2019, he became mayor of uh, Leavenworth, Kansas. The town he grew up in. The town he sold drugs in. In one interview with CBS, he pointed across the street and said, In that apartment building, in apartment number four is where I used to sell drugs. And now he's the mayor. So he went from maximum security prison to the mayor's office. That's God's grace in it. But not only did he get saved, this is what I want you to see. Not only did he get saved and he's on his way to heaven, sins forgiven, but he kept that that river kept flowing through him and touching other people and and his life became an example and his uh, and he touched many many people with the love of Christ. God wants to flow through us. That's the idea of these three verses. Now I'm not saying he wants you to be a mayor uh, or to go into prisons and preach. I just he wants you to have a ministry of some sort and me, all of us. And he wants to flow through us and touch people's lives. I want you to look back at the passage for a second. I want to pick up that verse 39 for a moment. But this spake he of the Spirit, the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive, indicating that would take place in the future, should receive, will receive at a future time. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, 
because Jesus was not yet glorified. Little explanation there. And that is the Holy Spirit, of course, has been in existence for all eternity because he's equal with God the Father and equal with God the Son. And so uh, the Spirit always has been. The Spirit was there in creation, participating in creation. The Spirit was there through the Old Testament times. But the Spirit would have a different ministry in the New Testament times. After Jesus paid the price for our sins on Calvary's cross, rose from the dead and ascended back to glory. That's the idea of after Jesus was glorified. He ascended back to glory. Then he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And from that day on, he indwells every believer. But he does it permanently. Now, Jesus would elaborate on this in his uh, sermon in John 14 through 16. We'll get to that uh, soon. But uh, so that's what he meant. The Holy Spirit was not yet given. That is given in the sense of permanent indwelling of God's people that takes place just during this church age. And then if we go back to verse 37... Jesus stands and says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. That word drink is in the present tense in the Greek. It means to keep on drinking. Drink and keep on drinking. And then it says, verse 38, He that believeth on me. The word believeth is in the present tense. He that believes and keeps on believing. You keep on trusting him. And then it says, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, the one that keeps on believing, keeps on trusting, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this living water, verse 39, described as the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I, every morning when we get up, should ask, the Holy, uh, should ask Christ to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Christ is the one who does the filling the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to live the Christian life. But not only should we do that in the morning, we should do it all through the day. Asking, trusting, drinking. So that it becomes, a, it becomes our lifestyle. It becomes the, our attitude of mind constantly drawing from Christ the fullness of the Holy Spirit constantly, hourly. And uh, all through the day. If you compare Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Where the scripture says. Paul writing. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But be you filled with the spirit. We're all indwelt by the, with, by the Holy Spirit. Permanently. So he'll never leave us. But we're not always filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit means He controls us. He empowers us. Somebody who's filled with alcohol is controlled by alcohol in a negative sense. Jesus makes that contrast. And Paul makes that contrast in Ephesians. When we're filled with the Spirit, it affects our behavior. Just like alcohol affects someone's behavior in a negative way, 
Field of the Spirit affects your behavior. The way you live, it affects it in a positive way. So you have to keep drinking. You know, if, if you get intoxicated by drinking wine, which is just what that passage says not to do, but if you, if you get intoxicated by drinking alcohol, then eventually it will wear off. If you want to continually be intoxicated, you have to continually keep drinking. That's the idea here of being filled with the Spirit. Sometimes people may be filled with the Spirit in a crisis moment of some surrender and trust and so forth, but they don't keep that attitude. And so uh, they're not trusting Christ for that fullness, and so uh, they're no longer filled. So if you're going to stay intoxicated, you have to drink continually. If you're going to stay filled with the Spirit, you have to drink continually from Christ. That's what he says. Let a man come and drink continually from me. Let him believe continually. Let him trust in, rely on, and have dependence upon me continually for the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful passage. And a great high place in Scripture. And so Jesus says these great words. What wonderful instruction to us. Galatians 5, of course, gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. All of these things come from the filling of the Spirit. And we can have a little bit of love and a little bit of peace, or we can have more peace and more love, or we can have an abundant amount of love and peace and joy, depending on how much the Spirit controls us. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Now we see the reaction of the crowd. Verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. And we spoke about this before. It's a, it's a prophecy from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses speaking. Moses speaks about a prophet that is to come in the future, referring to Christ, the Messiah. And so they said... This must be the prophet of a truth. This must be the prophet. And they were right. He was the prophet that was to come. Uh, prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus. And so they, had, they were on the right track. This must be the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. They said, this is the long-awaited one. He's the one we've been waiting for. And they were on the right track as well. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Remember, we've said it several times, Galilee was looked down upon by the people in Judea. Galilee was a farming and fishing district. And people were... Predominantly poor, not everyone, but predominantly. And so the people in Judea looked down at them, and, and they, didn't, they lived up north, you know, but down in Judea was where Jerusalem, the holy city, was. And everything kind of revolved around Jerusalem. And so they looked down their nose at the people in Galilee. And so some of the people in the crowd said, Can, uh, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? 
And then they elaborate on that a little bit. Hath not the scriptures said that Christ cometh of the seed of David, meaning a descendant of David, and, uh, and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they were saying, this can't be, this can't be the Christ because he wasn't born in Bethlehem. Well, of course, you and I know he was born in Bethlehem. And if they had inquired much, they could have found out too. He was born in Bethlehem. And he was a descendant of King David. And uh, those things were true of him. But some in this crowd were not even thirsty enough to get to the facts. Some people are that way today. I read an article recently by a a Christian apologetic who said he often, when he first started, he was ready for, for, um, uh, for debate and deep arguments. He said, but he has found out over all these years of his ministry that most people who want to debate Christianity and most people who reject Christianity don't even know what they're rejecting. They hadn't even got to the place where they've got the facts yet, much less an understanding of how they all fit. That's the way this crowd was. Oh, it couldn't be Christ, couldn't be, didn't come out of Bethlehem, not, he's not the seed of David, but he was. Those things were true. But they were willing to, they were willing to base their eternal soul on misinformation. People do it every single day, here and now. And then notice, verse 43 sums it up. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, that is, arrested him. The word taken there means to arrest. But no man laid hands on him. So apparently the Sanhedrin had sent some temple guards, or what we, we might call them more like police officers, temple police, the religious police, the Sanhedrin police, to arrest Jesus again. But they didn't take him. They didn't arrest him. And then in verse 46, they report back. Look at verse 46. The officers, and, uh, no, I'm sorry, 45. Then came the officers to the chief priest and the Pharisees and said unto them, And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Why didn't you arrest him? We sent you again to arrest him, and you didn't bring him again. Verse 46, the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. They said, We've never heard anything like this. Think of, try to put yourself in their place. Think about it. Every word he spoke was the eternal word of God dropping from his lips. The one who created the universe was conversing with mankind in their local language. Wow. The love, the compassion, the wisdom, the sovereignty, the authority that came from his lips. These temple police 
couldn't arrest him. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. They just couldn't do it. Because never a man spake like this man. The structure of the Greek indicates that they probably had in mind that he was not just a man. And that's what they're meaning by this. He's not a man. He couldn't be a man and speak like this. Well, you might think the Pharisees and religious leaders would be moved by what the guards said, what the police officers said, but not so. Verse 46, uh, verse 47. Then answered them, uh, the Pharisees, uh, Are ye also deceived? So he he says, or they say to them, the Pharisees say to these temple police officers, Are you deceived too? Like all these people are deceived by this false Christ? Are you going to be, are you deceived as well? And then notice his circular logic in this. He says, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? That's somewhat of a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no, they have not. But that's not necessarily true. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared this group right here. He was a part of this group. Nicodemus later becomes a believer, if he's not already one. He's a part of this group. Later in the gospel, we're told many of the priests believed on the Lord Jesus. So, this argument is not even sound to start with. But here's the circular part of it. We don't believe, and if we don't believe, it can't be true. We're the Sanhedrin, we're the leaders. If we don't believe, then it can't be true. And so, they said, are you deceived as well? And, uh, and then, verse 49, But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. He's talking about the common people. He has quite an, an elitist attitude. All these people who are not like us, they're not Pharisees, they're not leaders, they're not in the Sanhedrin. All these people are ignorant. They don't know the law. The truth is, the common person had a pretty good understanding of the law, generally speaking. They didn't always adhere to the, uh, the verbal law, which the Pharisees were uh, put Jesus condemned the Pharisees because they put the oral law, the verbal law, they put it on the same level with God's Word. And this was man's interpretation. And they put it on the same level. God condemned them for that. And then he says, they are cursed. That's, that's a real bit of irony. Because... They had rejected the one the Father sent. They were the ones who were cursed. Not the common people who accepted Jesus. Their hypocrisy reaches a whole new level. There's no thirst in them to know the truth. 
There's no thirst in them to, to know what's real about Jesus. Their mind's made up. Don't bother them with the facts. Don't bother them with the truth. They know what they know. And what they know has to be true. And so they ridiculed these police officers. Verse 50. Nicodemus, which is one of them, saith unto them, and then it explains who Nicodemus is, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. That is, he's one of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus back in chapter 3 and spoke with Jesus at night. And by the way, he said, even back in chapter 3, he said, we know thou art a teacher come from God. And he said, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He knew he came from God. He knew his miracles were real even back in chapter 3. That was about two years earlier. And now he says to this ruling council, Doth our law judge any man before it hears him and know what he doeth or what he does? He's saying, in effect, we, you're not even giving him a fair hearing. And the law says you've got to let someone explain their position. You're not even giving him a fair hearing before you condemn him. And again, you might think the religious rulers might say something like this. Well, yeah, you're right. We just got kind of fired up. We got all excited and, and uh, we're sorry. We really need to sit down with him and see what he really says about himself and so forth. That's not what they said. 52, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? (laughs) What a derogatory term that was to them. Now the people of Galilee were fine people, working people, wonderful people. But to them, this was a derogatory term. Are you also of Galilee? And then he says, Search and look for out... Of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So sure. But the truth is, Jonah came from Galilee. He was a prophet. Depending on where you put the city of Tishbe, Elijah was from Galilee. He was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. So these big shots that knew everything didn't really know everything. But you weren't going to convince them that that they needed to learn anything, that's for sure, because they knew what they knew, and what they knew was true. That's hypocrisy. And then it says, and every man went into his own house. You know, people are still divided like that today. Some who are willing to listen and to look, to examine To let their hearts dare to be thirsty to know God. And who come to Christ and find peace and joy the way Jarmaine Wilson did. And then there are others that are are sure they know what they know. Don't bother them with facts or the truth. What a sad, sad shape to be in. Now we're going to watch this on video. I think it's only about two minutes. And again, as I've been saying, it it might have looked something like this. Let's watch the video. On 
the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Whoever is thirsty should come to me, and whoever believes in me should drink. As the scripture says, streams of life-giving water will pour out from his side. Jesus said this about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were going to receive. At that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not been raised to glory. Some of the people in the crowd heard him say this. This man is really the prophet! The Messiah will not come from Galilee! The scripture says that the Messiah will be a descendant of King David and will be born in Bethlehem, the town where David lived. So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the guards went back, the chief priests and Pharisees asked them, Why did you not bring him? Nobody has ever talked the way this man does. Did he fool you too? Have you ever known one of the authorities or one Pharisee to believe in him? This crowd does not know the law of Moses. So they are under God's curse. One of the Pharisees there was Nicodemus, the man who had gone to see Jesus before. According to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. Well, are you also from Galilee? <laughs> Study the scriptures and you will learn that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. So it may have looked something like that. As we close, I want to encourage you Christians. Ask the Lord Jesus to fill you, control you, empower you with the Holy Spirit. And then keep that attitude. Keep drinking. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep asking. Until it becomes an attitude of life. That, that river of living water might start out as a trickle. And then turn into a small stream. And then into a larger stream. And then into a roaring river of peace and joy and service for Christ. Touching the lives of people around you. And if you've never trusted Christ. Let me remind you. Jesus said if you're thirsty come unto me and drink. You can come to Christ for salvation. For forgiveness of sin. And begin to have peace and joy in your life the way Jarmaine Wilson did when he found Christ, when he called on Christ in that prison cell sitting on the floor. Will you call on Christ? Will you trust Him as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And if you're willing to pray this prayer and mean it, then the promise is, He said, if you open the door, I will come in. He said, if you call on me, you shall be saved. Not maybe, not perhaps. He said, if you believe on me, you have already everlasting life. Pray this prayer with me and mean it. Say, dear Lord Jesus. He's listening. He's right here. Dear Lord Jesus. I know I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. 
I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. And right now, I call on you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And give me a home in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my heart like you promised. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me like you promised. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a home in heaven like you promised. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me today, claim God's promises. Claim his word. He promised. Open the door. I will come in. Claim that promise and know that Christ is in your heart. Begin to follow him now. Begin to trust him. Begin to drink from him daily uh, as this passage talks about. And uh, that uh, living water will increase and, and grow. And we would like to hear from you. You can call the church, leave a message, we'll call you back. Or you can text uh, us or you can leave a message on our Facebook uh, you can email some of the staff. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we won't bother you or badger you. We just want to uh, offer to send you some literature and maybe answer some questions for you and see if we can help you in any way. God bless you. We rejoice in those of you who trusted Christ this morning or this, uh, this day, whatever day you happen to be watching this, uh, this broadcast.